Good to see your smiling faces this morning. And welcome to those uh, on Zoom or who will be watching online. Great to have you with us this morning. Uh, as has been said, you know, we're right here at the turn of the year, and it always gives us cause to kind of look back and look forward and uh, see where things are at and maybe uh, evaluate and uh, make some decisions, as Eric said, for the future and, and what we're going to do. Um, got a message this morning going into the new year that uh, kind of kind of a tough one uh, this morning, but uh, sometimes love has to be tough. Sometimes you need to hear some things that uh, that rock you a little bit in order to uh, give clarity to the future. So I want to start out this morning. I want to show you. Uh, a picture of the Christian church in America. I want you to take a look at that shot. See what it speaks to your heart. Does that trouble you if I say that's the Christian church in America? It troubles me. And I want to explain what I'm talking about this morning. Uh, Professor George Barna is the Director of Research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. And one of the things that he has published for the last several years is called the American Worldview Inventory. A worldview is basically how we look at life, right? Um, physically, philosophically, socially, it includes our, our morals, our ethics, uh, our core values, right? Everybody has a worldview, how you uh, look at and interact with life and people. Uh, a worldview is shaped, obviously, by our upbringing, things we, you know, have learned, uh, experiences that we have had all seem to shape that. And we, especially as Christians, we have the Word of God. We have God's word to us explaining to us what life is all about, what's important, what's you know most valuable, right? How it works, how we should interact with one another, how we should see things. So we have this from the guy who created it all. We have it in his word, right? So it just makes sense that our worldview would be shaped, would be modified Right? Mine's definitely been modified since I came to Christ. How about you? Right? It should be modified. It should be shaped by the Word of God, by, by, by the one who knows infinitely more than we do, right? who always speaks truth. So we should get our worldview from this book. However, uh, Barna says this. He says, most Americans, 68%, consider themselves to be Christians. Among those self-defined Christians, though, only 6% have a biblical worldview, a worldview shaped by this word, 6%. He, he, he goes on to say that less than half of those Christians can be classified as born again, uh, those who believe that they will go to heaven after they die, but only because they have confessed their sins and accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, right? So within that born-again community, he goes on to say, 
that that number goes up to a whopping 13%, just a little over one in 10 have a worldview shaped by the scriptures, one that agrees with God. That's troubling to me. Very, and I hope it is to all of us this morning. Why is that? Why is that? Well, perhaps another part of Barna's research can shed some light on this, and thank you, Bart, for um, uh, bringing uh, this to my attention. Barna found in his research that one-third or more of senior pastors, okay, get in the picture here, one-third or more of senior pastors believe that, number one, sexual relations between two unmarried people who believe they love each other is morally acceptable. Two, that determining moral truth is up to each individual. There are no moral absolutes that apply to everyone all the time. Three, a third or more of senior pastors believe that the Holy Spirit is not a living entity, but um, a symbol of God's power, presence, or purity. Number four, a third or more of pastors believe that having faith matters more than which faith you have. These are pastors, Christian pastors. Number five, a third or more believe that reincarnation is a real possibility. Number six, a third or more believe that a person who is generally good or does enough good things for others can earn a place in heaven. Boy, is that what Jesus taught? By the same token, one third or more of senior pastors do not believe, one, that human life is sacred, do not believe that true success is linked to walking in harmony and obedience to God, do not believe that people are born into sin and can only be saved from its consequences by Jesus Christ, and further one-third of senior pastors do not believe that they personally will experience eternal salvation only because they have confessed their sins and received Jesus Christ as Savior. One-third of Christian pastors across the country. Is it any wonder that the Christian church has a whopping 6% Biblical worldview. So why is this picture, go ahead, if you would, Alex, put that back up for a minute. Why is this picture an accurate portrayal of the Christian church in America? Because more and more we are getting our theology from the culture around us and not from the Word of God. And therefore, the road to God that the church has been tasked with for 2,000 years, that road to God that we're supposed to be helping the rest of the world find, that road is disintegrating by erosion. The church's ability to be a light in the world, to fulfill our basic calling, is eroding. You know, in the early centuries of the church, the Muslims 
had a term for Christians. They called them Ahl al-Kadab, which means people of the book. People of the book. So as you have this other religion looking at the Christian church, the thing that stood out to them above everything else was their devotion to the Scriptures, their devotion to the Word of God. People of the book. Commitment to that Word that embodies the faith handed down by Jesus and the apostles and the prophets before them. Commitment to that book. As seen and experienced by those non-believers, these early Christians knew the Word, believed the Word, and lived by the Word. I want to entitle the message this morning, People of the Book. People of the book. My wife Kate is sometimes frustrated with me because I like to tamper with recipes. What would happen if we add some of this? What would would it make it healthier? Would it you know let's let's add some of this? And and so she'll she'll sometimes she'll put the ingredients together and go, okay, here's your portion. You mess with that, but don't mess with mine. Right? And, and, and then she'll say, you know, something like, well, you do realize if you add that in, you're going to change the moisture content or what? It's not going to cook right. It's not going to rise right. It's not going to do this and that because you're messing with stuff. Right? Yeah. Because when you change a recipe, Right? It not only changes the, the end result, the flavor or whatnot, it changes the way that it operates and the ingredients work together and everything else and relate to each other, right? Well, the same thing happens when we tamper with the Word of God. Right? And this is why I believe we have this warning in the book of Revelation. The very last book of the Bible practically ends with this. Revelation 22:18 I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy the prophecy of this book if anyone adds to them God will add to him the plagues described in this book if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book why because when we add our own ideas or ideas from culture into our theology, into our morality, into our Christian world, it becomes no longer a Christian worldview. Right? It changes. It's no longer the Christianity that Jesus and the apostles taught. It's no longer the life-changing culture-impacting gospel that Jesus told us to live and proclaim. Jesus said this in Matthew 5.13. He says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has... I mean, salt makes everything taste good, right? Salt's a preservative, 
Okay, All these qualities. But if that salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Think about it this morning. What group of people is constantly being trampled on in the media, in movies, in TVs? Whose, whose values, whose views are constantly being trashed today? Christians, right? Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, a former professor of English and women's studies at Syracuse University, uh, also happens to be a former LGBTQ activist who played a key role in shaping policy for the state of New York. Her life was radically transformed when she found Jesus in 1999, uh, which she chronicles in her book, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. She has a new book out with the title, this title, it's Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age in which she makes the case that we have gone in America from a post-Christian to an anti-Christian culture. Why are we getting trampled underfoot? Could it be because we're losing our saltiness? Could it be because our salt is no longer pure because it's being polluted by the ideas and values we're gathering from the culture around us? because we're no longer people of the book. Listen to Paul's impassioned plea in Romans chapter 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the, how? by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we renew our minds? In the book. In the Word of God. God calls us to stand out from the world, doesn't he? Listen, isn't that what the whole idea behind the gospel is? That we, are, that we are born into sin, that we are separated from God because way back in the garden, Adam and Eve decided that, hey, we can be as wise as God. We don't need to follow him. We can be our own God. And so that separation between God and human race came into the world. Right? Isn't that the essence of sin? Because we were created to live in a relationship, a personal close relationship with God, and that was broken. And Jesus came, why? To restore that connection, to restore that relationship. That's the whole gospel. So that we now come and we have a life with God in it. Right? God empowering us, guiding us, being there for us, a relationship with Him. That's the whole story of the Gospel. A relationship that starts in this world and then continues on someday in glory. But my friends, we, we cannot light the way. We cannot pave that road to God for the world around us if we're not walking on it. 
John chapter 17 in his wonderful, uh, what, what they call his high priestly prayer, Jesus prayed to the Father. He said this. He said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify. Set them apart as different as your people. Sanctify them. How? By the word of truth. They're going to be different. They're going to be called out from the rest of the world. They're going to be light bearers. They're going to be salt of the earth. Why? Because you are setting them apart as they apply this word in their lives, as they know it, as they understand it, as they live by this truth. That's my prayer for my church. Brothers and sisters, the only hope that we have to make a difference in our generation moving forward is to get back to the book, is to be people of the book. We need to undo the erosion, right? We need to be like the Christians of old. We need to know this so that we can discern what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong, so that we can let this Word show us what our worldview should be and walk according to it. Then we can rebuild that erosion and be a force in this world around us. How many years has it been said that the world is making more of an impact on the church than the church on the world. Why? Got to get back to the book. I've, I've heard it said with my own ears. I know what the Bible says, but... I, like, I know more than God? called to be set apart. Otherwise, we don't have anything, do we? We don't have anything to give to the world. We're not part of anything. God, Jesus, he's, he said, on this rock, on this revelation of, of, of Jesus uh, being the, the Son of God who came to save the world, on that, that, the, the, that revelation, on the proclamation of that gospel, I'm going to build my church. It's going to be a force in the world. right? The, the church of Jesus Christ has done more to transform the world than anything else in history, of course. right? If, if, if we don't get back to the book, not only... Don't we have anything to offer anybody else? But I am very troubled. You know, erosion doesn't take place all at once. You don't, uh, I mean, I know they're doing some things in California because these big waves are coming in and phew. Um, but, you know, that like that picture we saw, that doesn't happen all at once. It's slow. It's over time, right? That it comes in and that 
firm ground is washed away. And over time, if we, if we don't get back to the starting point, where are we going to get to? Personally, I'm, I, I am in fear for people who name the name of Christ that are slowly, slowly, slowly adopting the ideas of this world, making it a part of their worldview, so that when it becomes a conflict, what I believe or versus what the Bible says, it's follow your heart. That Jeremiah says is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? <laughs> Got to get back. Otherwise, what are we doing? Not only don't we have anything to offer the world, not only do, do, do we you know, run a danger ourselves of walking away from the faith, apostasy, but we, we actually literally helping other people to get on what Jesus called the wide road that leads to destruction. We're not helping them to one road. We're helping them on the other. Tough message this morning. But as we look at a new year, as we look at moving ahead in our Christian lives, in our spiritual lives, folks, we got to make some decisions. When push comes to shove, we got to get back to the starting point. we got to get back to this Word, to know it, to believe it, to live by it. Otherwise, that erosion is going to continue and the road's going to get washed out. How do we get back? How do we get back? 1 Peter chapter 2 beginning at verse 1. Peter says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. He says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the Word of God. Pure spiritual milk. Long for it, he says, like a baby, that you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good, right? He says, as you come to Him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. As we come to Jesus, not only initially for salvation, but as we continually come to Him, right? For, for strength, for guidance, guidance through this Word, right? As we look to Him to to mold and shape our lives. We become, he says, like living stones, being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You know, the priests, uh, especially in the, in the Old Testament, which they would have you know, recognized, the, the, the priest was the go-between, between a person and God. They oversaw the sacrifices and all this kind of thing. We are called to be a holy priesthood, to, to grab the hand of God and to grab the hand of our neighbor and put them together. Know Him, right? A holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices 
acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, right? Offering Him, what? Our lives to be used by Him. Verse 6, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus, rejected, crucified, but risen again to become the foundation of the church. He is to some, verse 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. He says they stumble because they, what, disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, but you, Christian, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Again, that word holy, sanctified, set apart, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Right? How in our lives, in our words, proclaiming this gospel, proclaiming his truth, Proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Out of darkness. Out of a life with God somewhere down on the totem pole. Right? Disconnected from the knowledge of God. A life guided by what I want, when I want, why I want. That was my life and into His marvelous light, into a life now in a personal relationship with our Creator, empowered by the Holy Spirit, guided by Him to shine the light to the rest of the world. This is the church of Jesus Christ. I mean, why, 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 didn't, why don't we just get saved and God goes, okay, come on, come on to heaven. Come on up. Now, now, now that you've made that decision, come on up, be with me. would be great. Right? Why did he leave us here? Jesus said, you will do greater works than I will. Right? Why? Well, one thing is because there's a lot more of us. Go out into the world. Spread this message. Be the light. Be the salt. Jesus could only be in one place at one time. But his church, right, throughout the world, making a difference. Let me ask you this morning, who do you want to be in this new year and beyond? One who aids the cause of Christ, shining that light to Him so people can know Him, people can find Him, make an eternal difference in the lives of others? Or one who aids the cause of that old serpent, the deceiver, the father of lies, who is literally hell-bent on destroying those that are made in God's image. Whose cause is worth fighting for? God is calling us in this day and this hour once again to be people of the book. People of the book to know it, to believe it, to live by it. 
that we might be salt and light in this generation. It's a tough generation. We've got quite a calling ahead of us. Right? This is, is again, it's an anti-Christian culture. The only way that we're going to make a difference, one person at a time, one heart at a time, as we love people and as we show the difference that God makes in our lives. Remember the old commercial, where's the beef? Where's the beef? Oh yeah, you say, I'm a Christian, I go to church. Well, what are we like outside of church? What are we speaking about? What are we talking about? What are our views? What are, what are our lives look like? Right? We have a calling. We have a book. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us, to empower us. Let me close with a final quote from Barna. He says this, while studying the spiritual behavior patterns of pastors, okay, as goes the pastors, right? It became evident that a large share of them do not have a regular spiritual routine. There was a correlation between possessing biblical beliefs and a consistent regimen of Bible reading, prayer, worship, and confession. In some of the denominational groupings, a majority of pastors do not engage in those foundational spiritual practices on a regular basis. Yet among the pastors who have the most consistent biblical beliefs, there is also a daily routine that incorporates all of those disciplines. Bible reading, prayer, worship, and confession. Sounds like I just found my next four sermons to help equip us to be that salt and light in this world. Amen? Study, studies show that everybody wants to be part of something bigger. You know, you can, you, you can do good in this world. You know, you can do cancer research and you can do this and you can do that and be a part of something that's, that's really, you know, transformative. But it's still only temporary. You and I are part of the big picture, part of the eternal picture to set our lives on doing the most important thing in this world, leading people. Jesus Christ. To do that, got to get back. People of the book. Amen? Let's pray. Father, speak to our hearts, Lord. Speak to our hearts. Draw us into your presence. Draw us into your word. I know you're not calling us to legalism and, and, and bashing people over the head, nothing like that. You call us to love, you call us to serve. It's all in there, it's all in the book. You tell us what is acceptable and what is going to hurt us in the long run. Tell us these things because you love us. 
Draw us into your word. That we might learn, that we might grow, that we might be sanctified, that we might be built up to make a difference. Eternal difference for you. Thank you. We give you the glory and honor. Through Christ we pray. Amen and amen.